Hello, this is Henry Rollins encouraging you to support KUCI Fund Drive happening right now. Help keep KUCI strong and independent. Please pledge your support by calling 949-824-5824. That's 949-824-KUCI. You can also donate online by going to KUCI.org. I will be monitoring how much money you send in. Now is not the time to be stingy. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. You must be your fairy godmother. Cinderella's dream comes true because the glass slipper fits. It fits. In our world, the right fit can be just as important, especially when it comes to car seats. Always choose a car seat that's the right fit for your child's age and size to make sure your little pumpkin gets there safely every time. Hop in, dear. Thank you. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. This message has been brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Gas prices have been going up a lot lately, and they'll probably continue to. KUCI offers a few tips to help curb this burden. First, if you live close to your school or work, consider riding a bike. It's healthier for you and for the environment, and it can actually be a lot of fun. If that won't work for you, we recommend that you make sure your vehicle is as empty as possible. In other words, don't keep junk in your trunk. Any unnecessary weight can have a huge impact on your mileage over the long run. So considering the skyrocketing cost of gas, it's a great time to break the four-wheel habit. You'll get great exercise, increase your energy, and elevate your overall mood. Plus, it's great for the environment. And you'll never have to worry about getting stuck in traffic again and have a great parking spot. Good morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. I have two very special guests on this morning. First up is Adam Leipzig. He is a movie producer and publisher, and he just has a book uh, coming out called Inside Track for Independent Filmmakers. And he's going to share his whole backstory into the entertainment industry as a producer, writer, entrepreneur. Uh, It'll be very inspiring. You know, it's okay to have to change gears, have different careers, different phases of your life. Uh, No one says you have to stick with one thing. It makes you more, I I would say, you're very brave when you jump ship uh, because you follow your passion. So it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Adam Leipzig. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. I'm very excited to have you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. You have a very interesting background. I posted it on my blog. Uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Adam Leipzig, and this is the Get the Funk Out show right here at KUCI 88.9 FM. I put you on the blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And tell me about your background. Well, you know, I started in the most nonprofit universe you can, which is theater. Oh. I began as a producer and a dramaturg and uh, at a nonprofit theater company here in Los Angeles. 
And then I moved into the most for-profit thing you can do, which is work at movie studios and work in the movie business. Uh, I, I worked as a uh, senior executive at Walt Disney Studios and have also been an independent producer. And most recently, I was the president of National Geographic Films uh, for about seven years, and now I run a company called Entertainment Media Partners, which is a company that guides media companies and also creative entrepreneurs through the landscape of the Hollywood media system. How did you find your way into uh, Disney and National Geographic? Well, uh, let, me, let me tell you the Disney story, because okay. I think that, that may be a little bit more illuminating um, you know, for your audience, because it's a, it's a practice that I developed for myself and that I have then shared with other people. And people who have used this system uh, always get a job. Uh, and about, I love it. I, put, I, put, I have put about uh, a thousand people into jobs in this process over the past ten years. Ooh, let's hear it. So, <clears throat> what I, you know, I was in theater. I didn't really have a lot of connections in the movie business. I wanted to be in movies. I decided that, but I didn't even know where in the movie business I wanted to be. So I decided to learn and developed a practice of doing information interviews. And an information interview is an interview where there's no job on the table, there's no that job that's been advertised, you're not going in asking for a job, you're just going in asking for information. You, excuse and, me, you actually could get an interview with a big company but just saying, I'd like to just find some information about the company and come in for... Uh, you get an interview with a person okay. by saying, I'm really interested in how you got to where you are and what you do, I'm not looking for a job, I'm just looking for information. And the magic oh. words are, I'm not looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking for a job, they don't have a job, and they're going to have to say no, and they don't want to take their time. Yes. But if you just say, I'm looking for information, well, you know, people love to tell their stories. Yes. People love to talk about themselves. And I have found in the entertainment business, people are really generous with their time, because none of us were born into this business. Right. Um, we all figured out a way to get into it. So... I contacted people, said, I'd love to do an information interview with you. I learned about the business by doing these information interviews. Sometimes I would ask somebody, is there someone else I can talk to? And I would get a referral that way. Mm -hmm. And over the course of three months, I did 87 information interviews. Whoa. <laughs> um, which is a full-time job. Yes. Actually, it's a more than full-time job. And the 88th was at Disney, and they happened to have a position open. And that then led to some very specific interviews for the job, which I then got. Was there ever a time when you went, where you called somebody up and they said, what do you mean you want an informational interview? Uh, sometimes. Okay. And that's okay, mm -hmm. you know, because it's kind of a numbers game. And yes. also people are off on location or they're busy and they don't always have time for you. So yes. you reach out to more people than you actually plan to meet with. Yes. And then you get a certain number who say yes. Amazing. So what was your first job at Disney? My first job was as a creative executive in a newly formed creative group. Uh, this was uh, sort of hard to imagine, but there was a time when Disney was not a very big company, when we had not yet had any movies that had grossed more than $100 million. Mm -hmm. And a couple of now legendary executives, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner, had just been hired uh, by the board to come over and try to revive the studio. And they hired a team, and there were eight people on the team, uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg at the top, and me around the bottom, mm -hmm. and about five people in the middle. Amazing. And we were saying to yourself, I cannot believe this is where I landed. I felt very fortunate 
yet at the time, all we did was work really hard because we were dead last in the studio game mm-hmm. and had not really been producing a lot of movies. So we did not know what a golden time it was until a couple of years later in retrospect, and we realized what an amazing team of people we had assembled uh, and how fortunate we all were to be there. Now, you and I had talked off-air how, you know, it's okay to switch gears, you know, mm-hmm. uh, switch your career up. Forget what people are saying to you. Forget the negativity. You kind of have to follow your heart. You do. You don't kind of. You have to follow your heart. You have to follow your passion. What do you think about people changing careers, different stages of their life? People always change careers. You know, the days of somebody doing one thing for 40 years and then retiring mm-hmm. uh, are over, and they were over even before this generation. Uh, I actually believe that people who are in their 20s and 30s now will have seven or eight truly separate careers in their work lives. Uh, and I don't just mean variations on a theme. I mean truly separate careers. Yes. I myself have probably had four or five different careers already in my work life. And it, it, you do that because it changes. The world changes. You change. You grow. Uh, you discover things that are different. You, have, you climb one mountain, and then you say, well, I've already climbed that mountain. Mm-hmm. I want to climb a different mountain, or I become a different person and my priorities have changed, or the way that I want to serve the world and other people has changed. And you have to be flexible to that and and listen to yourself. You know, um, uh, once I was working with somebody who was a Wall Street banker. He was an investment banker, and he came out to Los Angeles. He said, I really want to be an agent. I think I would be a great agent. I said, David, are you really sure you want to be an agent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said, yeah, I know, I know. I've, like, I've seen Jerry Maguire. I know what agents <laughs> do. I want to be an agent. <laughs> I said, okay, sort of follow the system, call these people, see if... And he got a job very quickly at an agency because he was an investment banker um, at a pretty uh, high-profile Wall Street firm, um, and they wanted him. And three months later, he came into me. He said, Adam, I hate this. Yeah. All I do is pick up the phone all day and yell at people. Right. <laughs> I, said, I said, well... Okay, so the good news is you're only 35 years old, and you're not going to become a 50-year-old man who is embittered and saying, God, I wish I should have been an agent, um, and I never gave myself that chance. That's right. And it's also good news because you discovered what you don't want to do in three months, and Mm -hmm. now you can move on with your life and find something you really enjoy. Absolutely. Amazing. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Adam Leipzig. I'm your host, Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Now... You Have you always felt like all your experiences have built on to other things? I mean, you have your theater background. You got involved in entertainment. Um, tell me about Rand McNally. It's so interesting. Well, that was a little piece of advising work that I did for the company. It was at a time when Rand McNally was trying to revive their And I worked with them to develop a line of products that transformed the map experience from an intellectual experience to a more emotional experience. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, in, in the most basic form, what we did was put people's faces on the covers of maps and books mm-hmm. instead of lines with cities and states on them. And we tried to connect maps to the emotional experience of travel. Uh, and they saw a big uptick in sale. You know, I think that when you're launching a product or a service, what you're always trying to try to do is connect with at the emotional level because people make buying decisions or entertainment decisions, lifestyle decisions at the emotional level before they make them at the intellectual level. So I I think it's always good to go for the heart. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
And now, are you are you continuing to be publisher of Cultural Weekly? I am Cultural Weekly, uh, which you can find at culturalweekly.com, dot com, mm-hmm. is a digital magazine which we publish to elevate the conversation about our creative culture. Because one of the things that I believe is that creative artists, creative innovators want to do great work, and they can only do great work in a society where their great work is acknowledged and people can talk about it articulately. Yes. So here's the problem that we have in our society with creative work. We have almost no language to talk about it. Our language is limited to two words, thumbs up, thumbs down, mm-hmm. liked it, hated it. That's it. That I'm doesn't get people very far. No, it you know, doesn't. You know, in, right now, if you ask you know, somebody, uh, you pour a glass of wine and uh, you say, what do you think about this wine? We've now become really accustomed to a language to describe something like wine. We say, well, you know, it has a great ruby color, and look at the legs, and it has the aroma of blackberries and currants, and it has a long finish, and there's nothing on mid-palate. And there's all these words that we didn't even have 10 years ago, but now they've been part of our foodie culture. Mm -hmm. But if you stop somebody on the street and say, how many kinds of sculpture are there, or how many kinds of poetry are there, they're going to look at you dumbstruck because we don't have the words for it. So what we're trying to do in Cultural Weekly is just elevate the conversation and give models of articulate, informed, non-academic discussion about the creative culture that we live in. And we have a, a large and growing following, and it's just so gratifying. Now let me ask a question. I had a guest on last week. We were talking about technology and kids. Mm. Do you have kids? Yes, we have two. Okay, I have two as well. Do you feel like, wow, I really have to pull the reins in on how much technology they're using because they're getting away from things that are more important, like culture and you know, conversation and communication? Because I know so many kids are just connected too long, too many hours to their iPhones. First thing is, our kids are a little bit older, so... Uh they pull the reins in on me more than I pull the <laughs> reins in on them. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that I think culture is now transmitted largely through technology, and there's mm-hmm. no putting that genie back in the bottle. Nor do I necessarily think that's a bad thing. Okay. Uh, when I make a movie, uh, sure, I finish the movie so people can see it on a big screen with gigantic speakers and, and uh, you know, massive sound system and really comfortable seats and popcorn. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's watching it on their iPad and that's the way they want to see it, yeah. well, I'm happy because they're just seeing the work. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a great thing. But with respect to kids, yeah, I think that parental controls and parental awareness is really important. Yes. For example, until our kids were about 12 years old, we did not let them have uh, Internet in their rooms privately. Yes, Right, we the the internet was available, but it was in a family room, mm-hmm. so everybody knew what was going on, and there was nothing, um, you know, there could be nothing clandestine about it. And uh, at the point where we let them start to use the internet uh, privately, they had developed their own sense of boundaries nice. and safety. They knew places they shouldn't go, and they, there were doors that they didn't want to open, and they self-regulated, and that was very successful. That's great. That is great. That's fantastic. Now. Also, lately, you were telling me, or just recently, you wrote a book, Inside Track for Independent Filmmakers. Yeah. We just premiered the book at the Sundance Film Festival in January. Uh, 
which was so much fun because usually at Sundance I've premiered movies, <laughs> and this time we, I got to premiere a book about movies. Nice. Uh, it, we had a terrific time. The, the book has been incredibly well received, and the purpose of the book is to solve this problem. You know, about 95% of the movies that get made don't get seen. Nowhere. Not even on Netflix. Unbelievable. It is an incredible, sad waste of people's energy and time and over a billion dollars a year in money that friends and family put in to get these movies made. So I want to turn the tables on that. And the purpose of this book is to answer the two fundamental questions that filmmakers who are independent have. The first is, how do I get my movie made? And the second is, how do I get my movie seen? Mm-hmm. They know how to make a movie. They've been to film school or they've been practicing their whole lives on how to make a movie. But actually getting it financed and actually getting it distributed and seen by an audience, seen this book, Inside Track for Independent Filmmakers, just pulls back the curtain in very short, directive, conversational ways that are easy to follow. That is great. Because there are so many people that get into this arena and yeah. they don't know where to go, what to do with it. Exactly. That's great. Now, you're also involved uh, in the Los Angeles Theater Center. Tell me about that. Well, I was one of the founders of the center. Oh. uh, Which we built and opened in 1987. Mm -hmm. It's still standing and producing today. Um, Although I'm no longer involved on staff, uh, I have friends who are running it who were actually part of our team 20 years ago. Uh, Incredible. It's now run by Jose Luis Valenzuela and Evelyn Fernandez, as part of the Latino Theater Company, and they program that space, which is a four-theater performing arts center in downtown Los Angeles, which has 1,200 seats. And uh, it's, uh, it's a terrific space, and vital and vibrant. When we built and opened it, it was one of the great days of our lives, because how often do you get to build a theater in America today right. and have audiences come and enjoy the work? Mm-hmm. I want to come see it. Where exactly is it? It's at 5th and Spring Street. The exact address is 514 South Spring Street. And I'll give a little plug to my friends. If you go to thelatc.com, uh, uh, their program is up there. Or just Google Los Angeles Theater Center, and people will find out about it. Now, we had also talked earlier, you know, as I'm going through the list of all the things you've done and you're doing, have you ever found yourself in a career funk? I mean, I'm sure you have, but if you have... Can you give some advice for people that are in a funk? Yeah. Well, of course I have. Anyone who says they haven't been is not telling you the truth or is blissfully unaware of themselves. Yes. Right? Because we go through ups and downs, especially people who are creative and innovators. We go through these down periods where we uh, we get confused and we get uh, get a little bit muddy in our thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like to remember... One of my favorite Zen parables, uh, there is a man who is trying to grasp a stone at the bottom of a stream. And as he reaches in to grab the stone, he stirs up the silt at mm-hmm. the bottom of the stream, and the water gets muddy and muddy and cloudy, and he can't really see the stone. But the closer he gets to the stone, the muddier the water becomes. And I think that's kind of what our process is when we get into these uh, career dips, is yes. that we have to embrace the muddiness, because the muddier we get, we're actually getting closer to the thing we need to get to. 
We just don't know if it's an inch away or a foot away from our fingertips. Mm-hmm. We just have to keep reaching for it. Uh, you know, I've also, so I think the first thing is just embrace the fact that you're going to go through these periods where you are, uh, where you're uncertain and perhaps feeling uncentered. Yes. And then always go back to your strengths and go back to your purpose. Like, why am I here? Well, who am I doing things for? How have they benefited from their interactions with me? Mm-hmm. And remember those things, and then you find your next direction. You know, one of the things um, that made me think of when you were talking is uh, a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, have used think tanks. They gather their best of the best friends, colleagues, mm. successful people who are willing to give them honest, open feedback. And so that person will say, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. And they, they might say, you know what, that is not going to work. Or, you know, that's a great idea, but you should try also doing. And I think having a group of people that are there to support you um, kind of reminds me when I was doing my dissertation. You have your committee. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever had a, a group of people like that kind of advise you? You know, I haven't done it formally like that. It mm-hmm. sounds like a great idea to do it formally, but I do do it informally in that as I'm thinking about doing things, I test it out with trusted friends. Nice. And I get the feedback that way. And, you know, the other, trusted friends will tell you what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. The other thing that trusted friends are really good at is telling you the things that you excel at that you don't give yourself enough credit for. Yes. Because we don't really... We don't really know how well and positively we affect other people sometimes. We often downplay our greatest strengths and attributes because we don't even notice them because they're so easy for us. Mm-hmm. But for other people, they're, um, you know, they're amazing, the things that we can do. So having somebody feed back to you your strengths is a, uh, both a validating and a useful process. And I'm a great believer... Um, you know, as a manager, when I'm managing teams, and also in terms of myself, build on your strengths. Don't feel as though you have to keep compensating for weaknesses. That's great. Because if you build on your strengths, what happens is that you get better and better and better at these things or that one thing. It's the thing that you love to do, so you don't even feel as though you're working hard or training. You're just in the zone and you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And you heavy up in that area and you become the expert, the go-to person, the, the, the problem solver of this specific thing, it increases your value to other people, and that's when they want to hire you or bring you on or work with you because it's so clear that you're so good at this thing. That's great advice. I love that. Do you have a mantra, by the way? Any kind of quote you love or live by? If you don't, that's okay. Um, <laughs> don't give up. <laughs> Don't give up. Okay. Well, last week somebody said, get out of bed. That's a good one. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to get anything done unless you don't get up. Yeah. You know, I love it. Yeah, look, I think uh, what I have seen is that the distinction between people who uh, are happy and succeed, whatever you call success, and people who don't, is not talent, smarts, money, parents, education. It's persistence. Yes. People just keep going at it. One of the things that I've learned as a producer of uh, of film and theater is that the producer's job is to hold the flame of the project and to envision it even when it doesn't exist and to keep that flame burning even when everybody else says, the flame is cold, the fire's out, it's (laughs) never going to happen. 
many projects that I've worked on only exist because I held the flame and said, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up, we are still going to do this thing. Yes. Now, here's the thing that we know. We know that everything that we want to get done doesn't get done. Every movie I want to make didn't get made. Every play I wanted to make didn't get made. Every book I wanted to write didn't get written. Mm -hmm. But I also know that all the things that I did do are things that I said I'm going to make sure happen, and I will persist at. That's great. So persistence is, by definition, one of the attributes of things that get done. Mm -hmm. Now, to just put 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 a point on this, because people always say, well, how do I know when to give up? And I'm always met by failure. How do I deal with all the failure? My answer to that is, yeah, I've made 25 movies, but the only reason I've made 25 movies is because I tried to make 250 movies. Ah, yes. So, you know, technically Mm -hmm. I failed 225 times. But look what you've done, though. But I tried really hard 250 times to get 25 made, and if you try that much, that frequently, you will get stuff done. You know, what's interesting is with your background, it reminds me of... um how I, I do voiceover work and I've mm. done some acting and you have to deal with rejection. And the reason I bring this mm-hmm. up is because actors have to deal with the rejection and rejection and they keep going and perseverance. And it's like, well, what makes them keep going when they keep not getting that job? Right. And you learn to walk in there, you do what you need to do and you leave. And that's usually when you think, oh, I didn't get it. You get a phone call. Right. And you just, you just have to keep your chin up, keep going and have a full life no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You know. and, and also let it go and not personally identify with those outcomes. It's, yes. not, it's not a referendum on who you are. That's the worst. Yes. Right? Exactly. If, if you don't get cast in a role, it's because they were looking for something else. That's right. They wanted older, younger, shorter, fatter, blonder, darker, whatever. That's right. It's, just, it's not about you. Exactly. And because you, you shouldn't be in the business if you going to take that it's too that's too much thought process you have other things to think about right Mm -hmm. and you know janine that this is true about every business because it's not only creative people who face this kind of rejection Mm -hmm. people in technology companies people in every company and in every work situation are always proffering uh ideas and they some of them are some of them move up and some of them get shot down Mm -hmm. and we can't get personally identified with these things we have to just keep trying to be positive forces well, I want to tell you, it has been a pleasure having you on the show because in looking at your, your bio, in where you've gone and what you're doing, uh, you're just, you're doing great stuff. And I, I really um, thank you for joining us. And do you want to throw out your website? Sure, I'd love to. Please come and visit me at adamleipzig.com. That's A-D-A-M-L-E-I-P-Z-I-G.com. And you can find out more about what I'm doing uh, I do public speaking, and I do advising and consulting, and you can also come over to culturalweekly.com and read and subscribe and share and be part of elevating the conversation. That's great. And your book, is that on your website as well? It's on the website. It's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's anywhere you can go online for a book, um, and then a few hard copy bookstores. But the best place is just get it online, uh, and that book is called Inside Track for independent filmmakers. Get your movie made, get your movie seen, and turn the tables on Hollywood. Beautiful. Adam, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to be here. Have a great week, and I'll be in touch with you. I hope to meet you face-to-face sometime. Me too. Take care of yourself. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. That was my first guest, Adam Leipzig. And 
Again, you can visit his website to find out more information on him. And next up, I'm joined by Shelley Detkin. And if that last name sounds familiar, I've had Cambria, her daughter, on my show before when I had my first show here at KUCI, which was Moms Rock the House. And if we have time, I'd love to feature a song from Cambria. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Shelley Detkin. Hello, folks. My name is Henry Rollins. It is time to donate to KUCI. Please do it. You can call them at 949-824-KUCI. That's 949-824-5824. Or you can donate easily online by going to KUCI.org. Please do it. Thanks. Thanks. 